The scripture reading today comes from Exodus 13:17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had said, And may the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on and camped on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lala. I hate to start with uh, distressing news, uh, but there appears to be some psychic doubt with the Psychic Friends Network. Uh, it went bust in 98, filed for bankruptcy, but now, according to the webpage, it's bigger, bolder, and better than ever. Um, here's the quote on the front page. We all want to know what our future holds. For centuries, great leaders have sought, to fa- sought and found the vital psychic edge, and now so can you. Okay? You go to the very bottom in the fine print on the front page of the Psychic Friends Network, <laughs> and it says this, The provided services are not recognized scientifically, and therefore no results can be guaranteed. Undue reliance should not be placed on the forward-looking statements because Psychic Friends Network can give no assurance that they will prove to be correct. Great. Well, we can smile at that, but, you know, sometimes we wonder um, what our future holds. You know, Julia just sang about take me and lead me by the hand, but sometimes we want to say, you know, God, could you just give me the map? You know, could you at least give me a GPS as to what's going on in my life and where I need to get next? I've been waiting for so long What's going on there? Well, this is the third in a series uh, called uh, Answering the Call, Milestones in the Life of Moses. And really what we're talking about here is when he discovered how he needed to let God lead. And we need to learn the same, and it's not easy, but let's start with that best known of passages about letting God lead us. And I want us to read this responsibly. Put it on up there, Stephen. I'll do the orange, you respond with the yellow, okay? Hopefully you know this passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him. Anybody know where that is in the Bible? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Who said that? Uh, You can go. Good. All right. No, don't go. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We say that a lot. We hear that a lot. We might even hear that preached a lot. But it's still so hard to do. Uh, Especially when something that we're hoping for is taking longer We're having to wait on something. Gosh, we're just not sure what the future holds, whether it's job-related, whether it's uh, relationship-related, whether it has to do with some purchase we're wondering if we should make or not make. We're wondering, you know, if we should make this decision and go here, make that decision and go there. And we're on, we feel like we're on this long path of uncertainty. And we just, we want to let God lead. We're supposed to let him lead, but it's so hard to do. Uh, The Israelites had to learn this, Moses had to learn this, and really our passage this morning speaks to us about it as well. There is an outline, by the way, in your bulletin, three 
the three uh, phases I'm going on in here, and if you want to follow along, you can do that. But again, yeah, trust in the Lord with all your heart, but can we really do that? Because that's hard to let God lead. But first of all, what Scripture is telling us in our passage this morning is let God lead even if His way is longer. Um, how many of y'all had geometry in high school? How many of y'all have it right now? Anybody? Okay. Oh, God bless you. Who's that back there? Is that Mac? Who is that? Harris. Okay, gosh, okay, yeah. Are you taking it now? Do you like it? Okay. Eh. The proof tables, the proof things. Yeah, what, what's that about? What does that do with reality? Anyway, I've never done worse in a class than with geometry. And uh, the one thing I do remember is that the closest space between two points is a straight line. I do remember that. Didn't help the grade, but, but I do remember that. And I remember, you know, to get from point A to point B, the easiest way to get there is with a straight line. And, and that may be true for geometry, but oftentimes in our lives, it feels as if God thinks the shortest distance is a zigzag line. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had to zig or zag? Are you feeling like you're being zigged or zagged? And, and, and you feel like it's taking too long. You know, you're, you, you might be in that pattern right now due to whatever, like we said, a job or a health issue, whatever it might be. But we all hit those detours. And it's especially difficult when it seems to take so long. And the Israelites must have felt that way. Now, now think about it. When the exodus occurs from Egypt and they head out, right, and they want to get to Canaan, the promised land, there are 600,000 men, just 600,000 men, uh, not including wives, children, and animals. So it's a big crowd of people. And it would be best probably to go the shortest way from Egypt to the promised land, but that's not at all what God has them do. Let's, let's look at the map here, and uh, hopefully you can see this. But, you know, here they are over here in, in Egypt, right? The easiest way to get there would be to go northeast and go right up here. I mean, it, really, it's a five-day walk. A five-day walk if you go that way. It would be very, very easy. But what does God do? He sends them down this way, all the way down the Gulf of Suez, towards the Red Sea, really toward Mount Sinai, which is where Moses spent the last 40 years of his life. And then they zig and zag some more, finally get over to the promised land. What is going on? Why is that happening? And have you ever felt like that applies to your life? You know, it it was a major detour for them, and, and it went this way and that, and it took a long, long time. Now, why does God sometimes put you and me on detours? especially if they feel a little longer than they should be. Why do we zig and zag sometimes? Well, sometimes it's the safer way. We just don't know that. I think first stanza of Julia's song talked about that. You know, you might not be ready to face what you would have to face if you took the short route. That's really the way it was for the Israelites. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness, through the desert, toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. And nevertheless, though, they they were like an army ready for battle, but they could not have handled the Philistines. And had they gone northeast like we were looking and faced the Philistines, they would have been in trouble, and they probably would have been driven back all the way to Egypt and Egyptian bondage. They would have gone back to slavery. That's really what would have happened if they had run into the belligerent 
Philistines, and, and they did not need that, and God knew that. Now, the people did not even realize that that's where the Philistines were. So again, sometimes God is watching out for you in ways that you don't even see. He sees it all, and he's looking out for you, even if it's taking a bit longer. So it could be that he's actually taking care of you by taking the longer route. Or it could be that there's some opportunity where you can do something in the midst of that in-between time, that detour time, uh, when really God himself can be glorified by how you respond to that time. You know, if they had not gone south, uh, the Israelites wouldn't have gotten to the Gulf of Suez and to where the Red Sea was. And when when they got down to the Red Sea, you remember what happened at the Red Sea. You had the miraculous crossing of that sea. That's the lowest point of the Red Sea where they cross. It's around 14 feet of water at the deepest. Probably was easier for them, not for God, but easier for God when he did part the waters. They were just able to get across because they didn't have to go down too far into the water. They would have had to have done that elsewhere. So again, it was good for them to do that, and through that incredible miracle, God was glorified. Well, if you're on a detour, sometimes God will demonstrate great things through you, particularly through your own faithfulness to him. You know, Paul took a longer way. Let's look at another map here. Uh, Paul, ordinarily, with his first three missionary journeys, would start over here, either in Antioch or Jerusalem, and kind of go up this way, and then wing around, and then come back down. That's what he did with his three missionary journeys. The last time he took a long journey, it was longer than any of the three missionary journeys, and what was cool was he was able to reach more people than he had done with the three missionary journeys before. This is when he was arrested in Jerusalem and taken ultimately to Rome up here, but look at this this route that he took, and he wound up going to strange, exotic places that no one had ever been who is a Christian, and he reached more people and got to share the gospel with more people that time than any of the other mission journeys. So again, that was quite the detour for Paul, which wound up with prison But again, it was amazing how he was able to share the gospel with so many, and so God was glorified. I know a person who used to be a teacher and did not get tenure and went through a real struggle with an in-between detour in his own life, just wondering, what am I going to do next? Kind of like Charles. He didn't know what he was going to do for his job. And, and I'll never forget, you know, more recently, by the way, he's gone into international business. He taught languages, and he does international business in China and is extremely successful at this point. I remember him coming back one time, and I asked him, you know, hey, you know, how are things going? Oh, things are great. I said, what kept you going in that time after you didn't get the tenure and then this and that? And he said, well, that's an interesting question. He said, you know, I took all these tests and read all these books about my temperaments and, uh, you know, uh, what my gifts are and what jobs might be good for me. And he said, I got really depressed because I kept running across three words, job, vocation, and profession. And I thought, gosh, I don't have any of those. He thought, I don't have any of those. But then teacher that he was and language lover that he was, he said, you know, I decided to look up those three words. He said, this is what I found out. First of all, the word job means what you would pretty much think. It's an old English word, job, which means a piece of work to be done. He said, but then I looked at the word vocation, and I looked it up, and it's from a word vocatio, which means a call or summons. I thought, well, that's interesting. And he said, you know, then I went to the third word, profession, which is from the word profiteri, which means a public vow to profess something, profession, to profess something publicly. He said, you know what? And it was really like he had this revelation from God. Two out of three ain't bad. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, man, you know, I didn't have a job yet, you know, one of those 
everyday things that you do, but I definitely had a call and a summons, and it was to profess publicly that Jesus is Lord. And he said, I decided, you know, whatever I'm doing, whether or not I have a job, I still have a vocation and I have a profession, and that's what God calls me to do. So even when I don't have the job right now, this is what I'm called to do, and as long as I'm glorifying God, that's what's important here. And I thought that was so cool. He's doing great now, but even in the midst of that in-between detour, he realized he still had a vocation, a summons and a profession, a calling to profess publicly who Christ is. I always thought that was cool. Now, uh, uh, do you ever feel like something in your life right now is in an in-between time that's difficult, you know, and it's taking too long to get from point A to point B? Sometimes the longer way is the better way, just like it was for the Israelites. So again, that's why sometimes it's the longer way. So let's drill that into our minds and our hearts and our souls. And you know what? Let's drill it in even more. Let's have one more time that responsive reading. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him. Indeed. Now, secondly, let God lead just as he has led you in the past. God's faithfulness in the past will give you confidence for the future. Let's look at verse 19 of our passage. Now, now, this seems like a weird verse to be sandwiched in between this, this narrative of them going to a place. Suddenly it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you when he does. You must take my bones with you from this place. Now, that's not a throwaway verse. It definitely belongs in there. If you go back to Genesis 50, Joseph, as he was dying, he made the people promise that they would carry his bones to the promised land. There was already this vision of this land of milk and honey that would come along one day. Even prior to Moses, they had this understanding, we will find our own sense of place at this place called the promised land. He really wanted his bones to be carried there. So when the time came to leave Egypt and there was the exodus, they carried, they literally carried the mummified remains of Joseph. Not only Joseph, though. If you go to Acts chapter 7, They carried the bones of other ancestors and patriarchs, up to 75 different people. That's a lot of bones to be carrying around in the wilderness for 40 years, but they did just that. Why would they carry those around? Not just to keep a promise. It was also a personal reminder for all of the Israelites. When they would see those bones, they would remember those are people who were in dire straits at times, and yet God brought them through. Think about Joseph himself. You know his story. All the injustices, all the unfair accusations, all the imprisonment, all of this and that that he went through, the abandonment by his brothers, the list goes on and on, and yet he remained faithful and ultimately glorified God with where he went to become such a great and influential person for the Egyptians and beyond. So again, they would carry those bones to remind themselves he's been faithful to our forefathers and foremothers in the past. He will continue to be faithful for you and me. In the first hour, we had a handbell uh, choir do their little handbell thing. It was beautiful. It was a, a rendition of Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past. And it was really cool. And, and, and I just think of the, the opening line of that. It, it's what, Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, Our what? Hope for what? How long? Years to come. That's really what we're saying here. He's been there for us in the, for us in the past. He will be there for us in the future. I think of wonderful images of his faithfulness that help keep people going and remain faithful even as they were journeying on in an in-between time. When Joshua crossed uh, the Jordan River with all the Israelites, do you remember what he did? They went back to the Jordan River and pulled out, what, 12 stones, right, and piled them up. 
And in Joshua 4, it says, you know, those stones that are piled up there, that, that sign right there, that symbol will remind us if things ever get tough, we can always look back literally right here or in our minds. Think about this structure right here that we've just put together, and it reminds us of how faithful God has been with us in the past and will continue to be in the future. I can't help but think of the best image uh, of all time, which is the cross of Jesus, obviously, who when he passed from death into life, right? and entered into the most promised of lands. We have that same opportunity. Even when we face trials and carry our crosses, we have that promise that we will live beyond that, just as Christ has been faithful to us in the past. Surely there are times, even when you're in an in-between moment, where you look back and think, yep, he brought me through there, he brought me through there. What is it in amazing grace through many dangerous toils and tears I have already come? Tis grace hath brought me what? Safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. We have those experiences, but let me just say, not just when you're in an in-between detour you know, with your own life, whether it's a job, relationship, whatever it might be, but even as you minister, and we've talked about this before when you feel like sometimes what I'm doing right now in ministry isn't making much of a difference. Oh yeah, maybe sometimes you might need to look back into the past, or if you could look back into the past and realize, yes, it was making a difference, you just didn't see it. For one thing, when you're doing ministry for God, You're glorifying him just by doing it, whether or not you see concrete results. But secondly, trust that God is working in and through you, even if you won't see it until years later. Uh, Love this story. Richard Stearns, I've talked about Richard before. He uh, is the head of World Vision, wrote the book, The Hole in Our Gospel, which a lot of you have read. Uh, A few years ago, he was interviewed um, on television, and he was asked, whom do you think has had the greatest impact on poverty in the last 25 years? Just worldwide, who has had the greatest impact on fighting poverty and eradicating starvation? And he said, oh, it's a guy named Steve Reynolds. And everybody was like, who's Steve Reynolds? And Steve is the second from the right there, just a regular guy who works with World Vision. He's not one of the big executive leaders. He just works with World Vision and has worked in different parts of the world at different times. And he said, Steve Reynolds has had the biggest impact. How so? Well, it kind of goes back to uh, 1985. He was working in Ethiopia It was when Ethiopia was having the worst uh, famine that we have seen in a generation. And he went over there to try to help and just do whatever he could. Every day, though, it was a dreary day every day because he saw, gosh, the darkness of salvation. Excuse me, not of salvation, of starvation. I hope he saw some salvation there, too. But he saw starvation, a lot of death, just just all that comes with being in, in a country where people are just dying on a daily basis, and you're wondering if you're making a difference. And, and Steve Reynolds said later on, I just kept asking God, God, am I making a difference here? You know, Why have you led me here? This is such a difficult thing. Well, in 1985, while he was there, he gets a contact from the headquarters saying, hey, there's a couple named Allie and Paul Houston, and they're from Europe, and they just wanted to see what you're doing here and see if maybe they can help. And so he said, sure, bring them on. So Allie and Paul uh, went to join him, and they rolled up their sleeves, and you know they were just going to stay there a week. They wound up staying there a month and just trying to see whatever they could do for Steve to help out. And it so happened that, that Paul was a musician, and he could uh, play a little guitar, and so he would sing these songs to the kids to, enter, to entertain the kids, even as they were starving. But it really made an impact on, uh, on Paul and Allie. In fact, they stayed there an entire month instead of just a week, and, and they left at that point, but not without being committed to, to doing whatever they could to help fight poverty and eradicate starvation in the world. Um, I, I don't have a picture of Allie, but I have a picture of Paul. Let me put Paul up there. Does that guy look familiar? This is back in 85 when he was working with Steve Reynolds. Does, does he look familiar? Who does he look like? Anybody know? Anybody know who that is? Anybody know? I think I heard it. Who? 
It's not Robin Williams. <laughs> Go to the next one. It's a guy named Bono. Y'all ever heard of Bono? Uh, lead singer of the incredible supergroup uh, U2. And, and Bono himself was interviewed uh, on Today's Show a few years ago, and they said, you know, how did you get into all this anyway? I mean, this is a guy who more than anyone else I remember a few years ago, he was, you know, Time's Person of the Year, along with uh, Bill and um, Linda Gates. And um, because of, of their fight to eradicate poverty and starvation in the world, he has met with popes, he's met with presidents, with prime ministers, he's lobbied before congresses and parliaments, he's met royalty across the world, uh, and, and just getting all that he could, all that he could to get billions and billions of aid for people who had no money, who were poverty-stricken. Um, which is why Richard Stern says no one had a better influence on the issue of poverty than Steve Reynolds, who still is a mid-level guy in World Vision, but really it was, it was Steve Reynolds who, who really influenced Bono. In fact, Bono was interviewed saying, you know, Steve Reynolds is the guy that influenced me on this when he was asked that. There's a song that, that U2 does called One. Y'all ever heard One? Uh, and, and oftentimes in concerts, he dedicates it to Steve Reynolds. I don't know if you knew that, but, but he does that. And again, it's this Steve Reynolds guy who's just your regular Joe there at World Vision. So again, I, I picture Steve having been there at those points where he was wondering, am I making a difference, and God, why did you lead me here to Ethiopia? And yet, look at how God used him in ways that he probably didn't realize until 31 years. You know, it's been 31 years now. He still works for World Vision, and he and Bono are good friends, but he saw that, yeah, I did something and worked with some people that made such a difference. Again, that's how God will be faithful to you and me as we minister, even when we feel like we're not making much of a difference. Last uh, Wednesday night, you know, we're going through this series by Jim Cimbala in our equipping group called When God's Spirit Moves, and it's been all about the Holy Spirit. And um, we were talking about the work of the Spirit and how the Spirit does work, and sometimes we want the Spirit to work with more immediacy than we would want. And I think we got a picture up there, Steve, just, I don't know, I just think that's a cool picture depicting the Holy Spirit. We were talking about two images of the Spirit, which were wind and water, okay? And, and we started talking about, yeah, well, the Spirit doesn't always work as immediately as we would want the Spirit to, to work. And then Lucy Sellers, who's not here today, but God bless her, Lucy Sellers said, well, you know, with water... And, and, and wind, you know, sometimes it takes a while, you know. It, it can be very sudden, but sometimes water and wind, it takes a long time to, to, to bring about change, whether, whether, you know, as far as topography goes or anything else. Somebody mentioned the Grand Canyon. I thought that's a really great point, that sometimes the Spirit working through us takes more time uh, than we would want the Spirit to, and yet He's doing amazing things through us, and we simply need to trust and continue to glorify God while we're doing it. But we still get to those points sometimes where you say, you know, where do I go from here? And it's sometimes hard when the future is uncertain. And that leads me to the third thing. Let God lead even if the future is uncertain. That's the tough part. That's where it would be nice if the psychic network worked, which it doesn't. But let's go to the next verse there, verse 20. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Now, you leave Sukkoth, that was a good rendezvous point. A lot of stuff there, a lot of water, a lot of resources. When you get to Etham, seriously, you are on the edge of the wilderness. You are on the edge of the desert, if you look at the map. And it was just understood. That's where the road, whatever road they had back then, which was probably a glorified path, but it ended there. And you had rocks and big dunes at that point, and you're not supposed to go further than Etham, and yet God was telling them to keep going. 
They had to have been asking, where do we go from here? And you've got to be kidding if you want me to press on now. And yet that's what they did, but God indeed resourced them. Have you ever gotten to Ethan before? Where do I go now? End of this road, end of my rope. Not sure what to do next. You want me to keep going? Look at the next verse. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And what's cool about this is this is a miraculous thing, but they would have known back then the ancient Bedouins, whom you've heard of. That's how they kept up with each other when the sand dunes got too high and they got separated from each other because they were bringing animals along, and some of the animals were healthier and faster than the others. And they're like, oh, I wonder how far my, my partner shepherd is, is up there. And, and so they would uh, uh, light a torch, and during the day they would follow the smoke out in the distance. They couldn't see the person, but they would see the smoke billowing up. And then at night, if they couldn't see the person, they at least saw light ahead of them. So God kind of took that with which they were familiar and, and issued forth this incredible miracle where they saw fire by day, excuse me, cloud by day, fire by night. And he was able to lead them, and he went out ahead of them. Again, you're going to get to eat them sometimes, and that's when you're going to have to trust God's supernatural guidance that will take you through. Nevertheless, even when you feel like you're at the end of the rope, let God lead because his guidance is reliable, and he doesn't stop guiding. Go to verse 22, final verse. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people, and God will not remove his leadership for you. He will not. He never does. It might seem like a circuitous route. It might seem like it's zigging and zagging. He is there to lead you always ahead of you, does not let up in his leading. It's a matter of your surrendering and yielding and letting him be the one to lead. And he does it every step of the way, every step of the way. A number of years ago, about 10 years ago, I had a former student who came in to talk to me, and we kind of uh, processed through some stuff he was dealing with. He was struggling with his relationship with his father, which was always... Uh, it never was very, very good, and, and uh, they just always seemed to, to be in conflict. There was that, and then uh, that was one presenting problem, and then another presenting problem that came along was his mother was diagnosed with cancer, and, and his parents were, were soon to divorce, and also he was going through multiple burdens of, of just issues. And uh, we kind of processed through that together over the course of months and, uh, and thanks be to God, things got better as far as, you know, his mother's health. They did divorce, but the mother uh, went into remission and, and continues to be uh, okay. Um, and, but the fractured relationship that he had with his father really started to, to heal. And up until the time his father passed on, they really wound up having a much, much better relationship. Well, he came back uh, to visit recently, and he came in, and I said, how you doing? He said, great. I said, uh, well, what's going on? He said, well, Dr. B, I wanted to tell you, I've, I've learned something. I said, Jonathan, tell me what you've learned. And he said, I've learned that life isn't like a DVD. Thank you, Jonathan. Could you maybe unpack that a little bit? Why is life uh, not like a DVD? He said, well, quite simply, you can't fast forward the tough parts. You know, you, you can't fast forward the difficult parts. And he said, but let me tell you what else I've learned, which is the best thing. He said, I've learned that Jesus is with me every frame along the way. And he said, you know, even as I took just one step forward each day, that next frame, it might have been one of the bad times along that tape, but still, nevertheless, I knew he was with me in that frame, and he will continue to do that for me. I thought, that's cool. You know, I have the presence of the Spirit in my life, Christ in my life because of that, and he will lead me, and I should let him lead 
So let me just ask you again, is there something in your life today, you've kind of reached Etham maybe in some way, and it's been hard for you to be patient about something that's going on, something you're hoping for, something you've been struggling with, uh, something where you don't know what the future holds for it, it's very uncertain, and maybe you need assurance, maybe you need clarity. Whatever it might be, our passage is telling us to let him lead. Let's say it one more time. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him. Let's pray together. Lord, easier said than done, and we confess that to you quite readily. Um, We feel very weak and frail sometimes when we try to be faithful. And yet we're encouraged by people, even in the Bible, who themselves struggled with being faithful. And yet they were able to look back and see how you were able to be there and guide them through. May we continue to trust you as we look back and realize you have brought us to this point through so much. You've been faithful to us. Help us to be all the more faithful on our end of the covenant with you. And help us to trust most of all that in all things you are working in and through our lives for the good. And Lord, we do love you and we do want to serve you and we do want to be faithful. So please help us to be all the more faithful this day. We thank you for your son who, by his faithfulness, passed through the most difficult of journeys from the cross, but thank you to the resurrection. And because of that reality, oh God, we have all the light we need. So help us to trust and let you direct our paths. We pray these things in your name. Amen.